giving you. Would you pray with me? Father, it's an amazing mystery for us to even think for a moment. As we've just read, honor your father and your mother. And to consider praying after that and to say to you, Father, this is how you've chosen to relate to us now in Christ. You've not simply wiped the slate clean and given us another try, but rather you have cleansed us by the blood of Christ and renewed us by your indwelling spirit. And we are now accepted in the beloved. Father, that alone is enough for us to chew on and to meditate on this morning. But we must go further, Lord. We must consider what this commandment means for us today and tomorrow and next week and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. This is a lifelong calling this morning to honor not only you, our Heavenly Father, but our earthly father, our earthly mother, whom you've granted to us, Lord. We pray this morning that you would help us to hear from you. You would remove any distractions that would keep us from that great purpose this morning. Grant your spirit, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother. How do you do with that one? I know if you have considered any of these Ten Commandments, we have to consider the fact that we were born into a situation where we were never going to be able to keep these things perfectly, right? And as we look at them now as the law of liberty that is meant to be our guidelines for preserving the freedom that we now have in Christ, and as we look to relating to other people, because this is not just a commandment, I mean, it is, it's directly a commandment about our parents, but it's also the bridge between the first part of the Ten Commandments to the second part, right? Because the first four all had to deal with our relationship with God. And so, commandments five through ten then serve to give us direction in how we deal with each other. And firstly, God calls us to consider the family, consider our fathers and our mothers, and it's a fascinating connection point, isn't it? As we move from how we relate to God, as he is our one and only God, and we shall have no other gods before him, and that we ought to worship him as he has revealed himself, not as we might image him in our own minds or in our hearts, that we should take his name with the weight that it deserves and not use it lightly and throw it around here or there. We should remember the Sabbath, a day to give to him, a day to rest in what he has done from all of the work that we've done the week before. And now we come to this point where the transition happens. And the Lord directs us to consider our parents. The most simple, basic unit of authority in the life of a person from the moment they're born, right? To consider the historical context of this, we're thinking again about Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt, right? They had every bit of the Egyptian authority weighing down on them day by day. They could not do anything without first considering, I am a slave. I am under the authority of Egypt. Pharaoh rules my life 
and I have no say in it whatsoever. And so as God brings his people out and starts giving him these laws and saying, I am now your God. I am taking the place of Pharaoh and of Egypt, and I'm going to give you freedom in relationship with me, and this is how you relate to me. Now he comes to this point of what goes beyond just the family, but authority in general. And this is where he wants to go as we consider our relationships with other people. First, dealing with the fact of authority in the household and to extend that beyond to all the authority that we face, that we are under day by day. With, as with all these commandments, though there are practical ways, and this is a very practical verse, of course, honor your father and your mother, and we'll talk about ways to do that. But as with all these commandments, there are always a matter of obedience at the place of the heart, right? We want to keep that in mind first and foremost as we consider any of these commandments. Because the one who is judging our progress on this is the one who can not only see what you do outwardly, but see your inward motivations, and particularly as we think about perhaps ourselves as children or maybe ourselves as adults as we interact with our parents, there have been times that we have rolled our eyes a little bit. I, oh, try, yeah, I'm, I love you, Mom. But there are some times where in my heart, I still, at 33 years old, I'm like, okay, all right. It's a lifelong journey for us to consider how to honor our mother and father. And Christ walks with us in this. Well, another thing I want to remind you about these laws is these laws that God gives to Moses to give to his people are there to set boundaries to preserve the liberty that he's purchased for his people, right? I want to just remind you of that as often as I can because... This is not a matter of God saying, I've saved you now if you want to stay this way. Now, if you want to contribute, no, this is what he's saying. Is this is what life looks like. And from the outset, Moses and then Joshua reiterates, and throughout all of the Old Testament, we see very clearly that this law is given to us with full knowledge that we're unable to obey it perfectly or anywhere near perfectly. And perhaps in a very practical way, we can see that imperfection as we consider children obeying their mother and father. So these are the boundaries that he sets. This is the relationship that he has for us. And again, these commandments are divided at this point now between loving God and then loving our neighbor. And we hear this in the New Testament as Jesus was asked by a lawyer, somebody who worked with the law. He says in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we want to keep in mind that in these two categories of loving God and loving people, we come to this commandment number five. Honoring your mother and your father. Motivated by love. And this is meant to set up a society of honor, of respect for, for those that are older and are growing older. And to not let the focus simply be on young and fresh and new is what's good and everything that's not that is bad. Because we all will face 
growing up and aging and, and those things, Lord willing. Um, that's, and that's even the promise at the second part of this, right? That your days may be long. So R. Allen Cole is a commentary writer, and he says, those who build a society in which old age has an honored place may with confidence expect to enjoy that place themselves one day. It's important for us to remember as we consider this commandment, um, particularly as we may maybe consider it from the perspective of a young child, um, that, which a lot of those young children are downstairs, of course. See, this would have been a great sermon for Communion Sunday, right? It just doesn't always line up with that. Instead, we're going to be on Commandment 7 for the next communion. So pray for me on that week. <laughs> However, we need to first think about this commandment from the perspective of a young child, right? Because that's where it all begins. It begins from birth. Right? The minute that we are born, we are subject to our mother and our father, and we are, whether we are actively obeying or not, we are going with the flow of everything that's happening. And then once we start to be able to talk and to move around and to make choices and decisions, then we really face the rub of, I need to honor my parents, but I also want to honor myself. And so this is the simple call of the passage regardless of what is going on within our hearts or what's going on in the world, we are called to give honor to our parents and to all other authorities that we are under because we are commanded by God to do it. We're commanded to honor our parents in all stages of life. And from the parental perspective, we're commanded to raise our children as ourselves being honorable parents to the Lord. Because we got to think about the other side of this, too. Because as a parent, as many of us are, we need to recognize, like, wow, they're supposed to be honoring me. Does that just mean I can tell them to do whatever I want? Well, of course that's not what the Lord is getting at. Let's think about this word honor. What does honor mean? How do you honor something or someone? Uh, the Hebrew word is kabod, and it simply refers to something of great weight or heaviness. And so literally, when we think about honoring something, we're talking about giving proper weight to, right? Thinking rightly about something, not thinking lightly about something. So as we honor our parents, we consider who they are, what they mean, what they do, all those kinds of things. And as we consider those things, the weight of that should grow in our minds. And we should be able to see, okay, to honor my parents is first going to start with me in my mind, recognizing them for who they really are. But then Calvin gives us three words to follow um, through with that. Because how do we practically do that? Well, he gives us respect, obedience, and gratitude. I think that covers pretty much the whole matter of honoring our parents. Firstly, that we should respect them. We should think of them rightly, and we should speak to and about them respectfully, right? And we've all done that perfectly, haven't we? Of course not. We've all at various times disrespected our parents, either in our hearts or in our words or perhaps even in our actions. What about obedience? Oh, that's an easy one. No, we just haven't obeyed our parents well, have we? Too many times we could, if I asked you to just make a list of things that you've done in disobedience to your parents, you would need quite a bit of paper, wouldn't you? Maybe you wouldn't, but I know I would. And then lastly, gratitude. Say thank you. Isn't that an interesting thing that we do? I mean, I was doing that with Nora just the other day. I was like, what do you say? And I had to, in that moment, realize, like, why am I, am I teaching this to her for her own edification or so that I get the honor that I think I deserve? And that's where it comes back again to us considering 
as we're parents, what are we really doing in receiving this honor? Are we doing it for our own glory or because we are also under authority? Respect, obedience, and gratitude. This command is directed to us all firstly as children, but it presents a great weight on the parents as well. If you don't have kids or if you don't have kids at home, help. We need it, right? Parenting is a big responsibility. It's a lot for us to handle. And part of being the body of Christ and the family of God is recognizing that as we gather on Sunday mornings, what we're seeing is a picture of God's family coming together. That is not to say that we should all bear the full weight of parenting every single child that goes downstairs during the sermon, but that we should be open and ready to assist and to pray for especially. Do you ever pray for some people? that you know have kids. One of the big things that we need prayer for is in recognizing what our homes are meant to be, a training ground for life. And a lot of times, I mean, I think Sarah and I both, even just last night, when we finally put the kids to bed, I think we were both like, oh. right? And it was just a relief to have, to be able to like clock out. Although, you know, parents, we don't clock out, Right? We don't ever get to clock out. We don't ever get to go home. Nobody comes in and takes over for the shift ahead of us. It's a lot. And a lot of times we just think of it as something, let's just get through this. Hopefully we can just make Saturday happen and we can cut corners where we need to. But in fact, God has designed the home to be a training grounds for children to grow into people. But then beyond that, as we think of ourselves as someone's child growing up into adulthood, we also need to consider how we carry on this respect, obedience, and gratitude as adults to our children, or to our parents, rather. For this, uh, thinking of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, and there Paul writes um, to Timothy, uh, leading the church, and he says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. You also see this in Colossians 3, verse 20, where Paul says, Children, obey your parents in everything, because this is pleasing to the Lord. Obey your parents in everything. As an adult, make some return to your parents. We don't simply grow up and fly the coop and then say, Okay, see you at birthday parties and Christmas time but we're actually meant to give back and to care for our parents as well as we grow and mature as well. All this is because it's a matter of recognizing that God has ordained this authority on parents, and that naturally spills out over into all other avenues of life, into school, into work, into church even, into government. The home is just a smaller version of the whole world for a child. At home, you have your first hospital, your first church, your first school. All those things begin in the home, and we learn how to interact outside of the four walls of our houses based on how we interact with our parents, how we interact with our siblings as well. 
just a smaller version of the world. And mom and dad are the ones that God put in charge of all of this. And this is something that Israel would have understood when they, had this, when they received this commandment, that, that this goes beyond, this is not just a matter of saying, I need to honor my mother and father, and then once I grow up, I'll just go do whatever I want and disregard authority how I please. But we see this practically, right? You kind of see how uh, in, a, in a household family, when a child obeys their mother and father and gives them the honor due to them, when they get to school, the same kind of thing happens in the classroom. When they get to work, the same thing happens in the office. They honor their, the authority that they're under. Easier said than done, of course. Because the fact is, is that we're not just working towards downloading information about how to be a good child to our children. But in fact, there's a real spiritual reality of rebellion in the hearts of every single person. And this is what Alistair Begg says about this. He says, the great need for this command is to be found in the fact that we are by nature rebels. We have a natural dislike for authority. It is within the family that children are to learn respect for authority. A natural dislike for authority. We don't come into the world saying, somebody tell me what to do. Right? We don't, we don't need to teach our kids to to rebel, rebel against authority, we, we try to teach them to submit to authority and to honor authority in our lives. And yet, interestingly enough, as we realize our rebellious hearts are already pushing back against all authority in our lives, and that we're unable to see that this authority is placed by God himself in whatever context we find ourselves, whether kids or adults, we recognize that in our culture, even, even though there's that spiritual reality within us, our culture is also telling us to question authority. And I just found this quote from Benjamin Franklin, for instance. I mean, there were a ton of these kinds of quotes. But Ben Franklin says, it is the first responsibility of every citizen to question authority. That's the first responsibility? Like, as I consider myself as a U.S. citizen, my first responsibility is to question authority. I mean, that may, in fact, be how the country was designed. I mean, it really is. If you look at Thomas Jefferson, you can find in his writings the idea that he had was that in order to maintain our union, there would need to be a revolution every single generation just so they could remember what they fought for and they earned in that way. But it would always involve some kind of rebellion, even if, I mean, he kind of leads on to the idea that it may even just be even for the sake of rebellion itself. And if Benjamin Franklin is right about this being our first responsibility as U.S. citizens is to question authority, then that's the most patriotic thing you can do, apparently. I don't know about you, but that sounds exhausting to me. In our hearts, our rebellious hearts, though, hear this kind of thing and feed off of it and grow and long for rebellion, whether it be in the household, to just simply say no to mom and dad for the sake of saying no, or if it means going into school and, and the teacher saying, okay, now you all have to get your books out, and you just say, you know what, I just don't want to. Why? Do you have something against history books? Not necessarily. I just don't want to do what you told me to do. That's the reality that we walk in. And it's been the reality for all of time. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who was a deacon in the church, 
is preaching to the Sanhedrin. And he's going through all the history of the Old Testament, basically. And when he comes to the point of the Exodus, he says this in verse 39 of chapter 7 of Acts. He said, Our fathers refused to obey him, that is Moses, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They were all too ready when Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting these Ten Commandments for them. They were all too ready to find some other idol to worship, someone else to follow. We don't know what's become of him. Well, yeah, it's been, it's been quite some time that he's been up there with, when they say, hey, let's go ahead and make these, these idols for us to follow. But Stephen was right in verse 39. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. And this is the self-imploding status of a rebellious heart. Because the rebellious heart starts out thinking, I just want to do what I want, because that will give me something better than what this person, mom, dad, boss, president, or whoever, is telling me I can have. I can come up with a better idea. But when push comes to shove and when the pressure is really on, the real desire, whether it makes sense or not, is just simply to rebel almost for the sake of rebellion's sake alone. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt. What, what were they in Egypt? Slaves. They wanted to rebel against the law of liberty that was coming their way so that they could go back and be enslaved. And the truth is is that in our hearts, we long to be our own God. We long to be in charge of every element of our lives and to think that there is not only another but many other authorities for us just increases that rage in us to own all authority in our lives. We live in a culture that says, really, authority is only good if you have it. Somebody else has it. It's no good for you. Just like Israel, our hearts turn back to our life before Christ, even, as if that were better. Have you had those moments in your Christian walk where you said, it's just too hard to you know, honor my father and mother the way that God is calling me to, or, or to stop hating people in my heart, or, or perhaps to commit adultery or to have lustful thoughts, or to steal, take things that aren't mine. Lying is just so much easier sometimes. And what happens when we say these things in our hearts is our hearts are turning back to Egypt just like Israel because sin only brings slavery. It doesn't bring freedom. Of course it promises freedom, but it just sets us back to where we were before as if that were a better thing. The hearts of unbelievers are locked in this direction completely even though they may look at some of these things and say, hey, you know what, I actually, I'm a pretty good kid. I listen to mom and dad. I'm, I'm an adult now. I still respect them. I help them out around the house or, or whatever that might be. Um, I've never murdered anyone, so that's pretty good. And, and even they might hear Jesus saying, if you've hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder against them. And they say, I'm not a very hateful person. The world can look at these commandments and say, you know, generally I do pretty good. Generally, when you look at the outside of what I, what I say and do, I'm not as bad as other people. But we know that God is not grading on a curve. You know what that means, right? Grading on a curve? I didn't, I'm going to be honest. I don't think I really understood that until I became a teacher, which probably is not good. 
but <laughs> I, I didn't understand the weight of that. When you grade on a curve, you're taking a test, and if there were 10 points on the test, and 10 out of 10 would be 100%, but nobody got 10 out of 10. They got the highest grade was an 8 out of 10. When you grade on a curve, you make that 8 out of 10 100% instead of 80%. Make sense? And so what we do when we look at something like the law of God is we say, I know people who have done far worse than me. And if I were God, like I'd like to be, then I would grade myself based on all of my peers. But we're not graded that way. We're graded according to his standard, which is perfection, which he knows we can't accomplish. So the hearts of unbelievers are locked in this one singular direction of rebellion against God as the ultimate authority. Even if they come under certain other authorities, okay, the authority of God in their lives means nothing. Because they're both under the influence of the world and on their own, willfully opposed to the things of God. The Bible says there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who is righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark in some way, shape, or form. We make these excuses. We excuse ourselves from things like honoring our father and mother, saying things like it's inconvenient, or, or, or even this one. This is a hard one. My mom and dad, they've wronged me in some way, and therefore they don't deserve my honor. And when we take that, what we're saying is, I'm going to reject the authority of my mom and dad, and we think that's all we're doing, but really we're rejecting the authority of God. Because, yeah, I mean, nothing in the commandment of God tells us to put ourselves in way of harm emotionally or physically or anything like that. Of course, if there's danger in, in obeying a mother or father in some twisted evil setting, then God would say, no, don't obey an evil command. Don't go against the other commandments in order to honor your mother and father in the fifth one, right? are still <laughs> it's not easy it's not easy in another heart of, of a person perhaps <laughs> they may say what we find in Mark chapter 7 verses 11 through 13 Jesus is talking to a group of people and he's saying that you say that you're supposed to honor your mother and father but then you also say that if something that you were going to give to your mom and dad to care for them or to honor them if you were going to take that and give it to God and you call it korban, meaning given to God, then you no longer have to honor your mother and father. And so Jesus teaches that in times, there are people who say, even for religious reasons, that I'm okay to not obey my mother and father in this or that way because I'm trying to obey God, as if those two things are opposed to each other. There's a lot of very unique and and difficult, challenging circumstances when we think about what honoring our parents means. We can't cover all of that all at once. But let's just look again at the consequence of this. Because we know the wages of sin is death. And this commandment for us to honor our mother and father in Deuteronomy, the second book of the law, where he reiterates the commandments and the blessings and even the punishments and the curses that will come from disobeying them. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18, listen to what happens to people who disobey or dishonor, rather, their parents under the old covenant. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son 
who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This is our son. He's stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Whoa. For dishonoring parents, the death penalty. Wow. And then in verse 21, the second part, God gives the reason for that. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. They'll get why authority is important. Can you imagine if we lived under the Old Testament law, in this case right here, how many kids would make it to adulthood? Right? It would be impossible. I feel like I would have no hope. I would get, I, could, I can think of moments in my teenage years where I could see my, well, my parents were very gracious, but if they so chose to say, look, here's my rebellious and stubborn son. He doesn't listen to anything that I say. That's intense. This is the consequence. And, and the reason, again, at the end, so that you shall purge the evil from your midst. Man, if you ask somebody, just anybody at work or at a restaurant or at home or in your neighborhood, if you ask them, what do you think the worst evil of the world is? What kind of answers would you hear? Genocide, right? Um, unfaithfulness in marriage. I mean, you could go down a list of some terrible, terrible things but I doubt anyone would include dishonoring your parents. That's an evil thing. That's something we need to deal with. According to the Lord here, he's saying that this evil needs to be purged from your midst. That is the midst of the society that he's creating. Again, listen to Alistair Begg. He says, when a child resents and rejects parental discipline and is not trained by it, that is just in general speaking, he's not honoring his mother and father and as they're teaching him, he begins to develop emotional calluses. He grows increasingly antagonistic towards all kinds of authority and will in the end become a menace to society and to himself. I'm ashamed to say that there were moments... A parent-teacher conference is not enough to judge an entire family, right? But there were some moments in the five years of teaching middle school, where certain kids' parents would come in and I would see them interacting and I'd say, I can do nothing in this situation. <laughs> They're acting with their parents the same way they act here in this classroom. It seems hopeless. It seems like nothing can be done because the parents are letting it happen. This isn't to say that we should come back to Deuteronomy and say, let's reinstate the death penalty for dishonoring parents. That was something for the Old Testament. But, but there is something of the weight and the gravity of what dishonoring our parents really means that I think we miss. So how does Christ reveal what we miss in that? Well, if we're called to honor the authority that he's established, then we should look at how he interacted with authority. If you remember from uh, the end of the Gospel of John when Pontius Pilate is talking to Jesus and he's on the chopping block. He's being, the crowds are calling for his crucifixion. And Pilate says to him, don't you realize 
I have authority to free you or to kill you. I could end your life in a moment. And why are you, because largely he was being silent. Don't you know this? And Jesus' response in John 19, verse 11 is this. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given from you from above. He's not saying you don't have any authority. He's saying you do have authority, but this is where it's coming from. It's coming from God. He has granted it to you in this moment to fulfill the plan of all history amounting in Christ, amounting in his death and burial and resurrection. Christ, who was the perfect son, the perfect authority as well, equal with God, fully divine and truly human, truly God. And he is the one who's died this rebel's death from Deuteronomy 21 that we all deserve. And we joke sometimes about what it would be like to have Jesus as an older brother and to have your mom probably constantly saying, why can't you just be more like Jesus? Right? And yet, in Scripture, what we see is that that is the spiritual reality of us coming into the family of God. When we've realized our need for salvation, looking at Deuteronomy 21 and saying, wow, according to God... Even if I just looked at commandment number five, I would be doomed. I I deserve the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. And even just this one, even my little eye roll against my parents has brought me death. And Christ has taken that for us. He has become our older brother, but not in the way of saying, hey, I'm here, just do exactly what I'm doing and everything will be okay. He's gone beyond just being an example, though he is an example He's gone beyond that to being a substitute, to taking our place, to being the son or the daughter that we could not be, to being the child of our heavenly father, the one who's created us, the ultimate authority. He's taken the penalty that we deserve. He does show us in his life submission to his parents growing up. You remember Luke chapter 2 coming back from the temple and, and Luke tells us that he, was, he, he submitted to their authority all his days as he grew up. We also see as an adult Jesus fulfilling this commandment in John chapter 19 again when he looks to John the apostle and basically asks him to care for his mother because he wasn't going to be able to do that. So, you know, Jesus from the beginning to the end has fulfilled this commandment perfectly for us. Him who, he who bore all authority, who, who deserved all authority, comes underneath authority for our sake. And when questioned about who he was in John chapter 8, he says to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, the Son of Man, the one sent by God, the Messiah, the true Son of God that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. He perfectly came under the authority of his Father in heaven on your behalf and for your good. 
And so the risen Christ in Matthew 28, 18, that passage we know very well, right? The Great Commission, it starts with all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples. Go now and honor your parents, for instance. Testify to what Christ has done by walking in this law of liberty. Honor your parents because Christ has honored his father and has brought us into the family of God. Not just to be observers, but participants in it, to be what the Bible calls us as joint heirs with Christ, that we share in the inheritance of Jesus, the perfect Son of God. All the blessed relationship between the Father and the Son is what you experience because, again, the Word says you are accepted in the Beloved because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Accepted by our true Father in heaven. Made new by Him. Listen to Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He decided beforehand, before you even had a role to play, before you could even act, before you could even reject all authority and rebel on your own. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Christ the firstborn. Not created, but first in in preeminence. And we then become his little brothers and sisters and sharing in that inheritance of the goodness of God. So we need to walk with Christ in this. We need to walk with him in the promise because remember, there's a promise at the end of this and Paul mentions it in Ephesians. This is the first commandment with a promise. What is that? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We honor Christ by honoring the authorities over our lives and by building our families and our homes and and acting in our jobs and in our neighborhoods, acting based on that love that we have in him. And that that promise that our days might be long in the land that the Lord is giving us is fulfilled in Christ's salvation for us because he's given us what kind of life? Eternal life. I mean, this is, this is a promise that comes with a practical solution, resolution here. It says, you know, look, if you honor your father and your mother, there's going to be a practical result of that. Your days are going to be long in the land. You're, and then not necessarily just lengthwise, but quality, abundant life in the land. Because you've honored your father and your mother and you've grown in that home training ground to go out into the world and to honor authority as placed by God and to function in society in that way. Obedience to this commandment is not a means of salvation or a means to our approval with God, but rather it is a fruit of it. Because now that we know we've been accepted in Christ, we can honor our father and mother and embrace that great promise because we know we've been made new in him. At the beginning of our service, we read Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, and this just shows us the overflow of that commandment from the home to the workplace. Because he starts with children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He gives that in the Lord again as we think about, well, what, if I, what if my parents don't believe in Christ? Or what if they come? No, it has to be in the Lord. There's a context here where you, you obey things that are in accord with what the Lord has commanded. He says, honor your father and your mother. This is the first command with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Then he goes on outside of the home and says, bond servants, or we could just translate that today to employees. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not just doing what they say on the outside and turning around and rolling your eyes and writing that email to your other coworker about how much of a jerk that person is. But rather, as you are working for him, do the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them. Bosses, employers, do the same to your employees. Stop threatening them, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So if you're in charge of somebody or something in your workplace or in your neighborhood, do so acknowledging the authority that you yourself yourself is under as well. I want to ask you to take five minutes sometime this week and apply this in a very practical and probably simple way. And maybe some of you will even say, like, I kind of do this already, and that's great. But as we're thinking about honoring our mother and father, whether you're in the stage where you have grown children or you are, or you're, you're just, whatever it may be, if you could call your parents and just ask them, hey, how can I pray for you? To testify to the goodness of God, to testify that you trust in his authority over all things. Could you call your parents or could you call your grown children and say, how can I pray for you? How can I walk with you in some way before the Lord? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning. Your word is true. Your word is practical. That your word brings life. We thank you that in Christ we have entered into a new and larger family under your authority perfectly. That all of our failings as children, even our failings as parents, all the things that we look back on with regret, with shame, or perhaps even in our hard hearts, we look back on it and say, that wasn't a big deal. Lord, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And Christ's obedience counts on our behalf. We thank you this morning that that is our perfect hope. Would you help us as we consider our relationship with our parents, perhaps our relationship with our children, with our bosses, with our employees, as we consider authority and consider respecting, obeying, and even being grateful. Would you help us to do that from the heart that Christ has made in us? Not from just an outward, meaningless display, but something that is meaningful as an act of worship to you or over all things. In Jesus' name, amen.